Good morning and aloha. Welcome to Hanging with Uncle Maui. Episode 2. So we're going to be talking about a few things today. Uh, I feel like those who listen ought to know who is Uncle Maui and what makes me Uncle Maui. So this past week I've been kind of gathering my thoughts on what to share in this episode and some of the things that will uplift, inspire, and um, bring hope and joy to those who listen to this, which is my ultimate goal, the reason why I do this. Um, like to start out by um, just a brief introduction like I did last episode. Those of you who don't know, my name is Josh, uh, but I go by Uncle Maui. Um, you know, and funny thing is, is I find it a bit strange to hear people call me by my, I say, um, given name, you know, Josh. Even for me to say Josh, you know, it's it's kind of weird. I just have incorporated the name Maui into my life, and, and you know, and I'm I'm not saying that I'm not grateful for the name that my my mother gave me, but um, I use Maui as a not only as a nickname, but a, a way for people to kind of get an idea of my personality and who I am. So that being said, let's move on. So a few things we're going to be discussing today. Um, there is something in my life, or should I say someone, who is extremely, extremely important to me. Um and that's going to be my wife. And you're going to hear me throughout my episodes um, talk about my wife here and there. But I feel like right off the bat, I think you should know I'm married. Um, I will have been married August 13th, 2010. That was the day I got married. Um, so 13 years this August. And to be honest, we've had our ups and downs. I'm not going to lie. It's been... It's been... A joy. I'm not gonna lie. It's it's been a joy. It's been one of those things where we work at it day by day. Um, and I feel like, you know, in the 13 years that we've been married, um, we have learned so much about each other. And you'll hear me time to time will say, you know, it feels like it's been a lot longer than 13 years. But not necessarily meaning it in a bad way. I'm just saying, you know, we just seem to gel and seem to connect so well that we just have our our routine. Um, we have, she knows how to push my buttons. I know how to push her buttons. Um, and I think that's what makes a good compromises is knowing both each other's boundaries and just kind of how we both work and whatnot. And so we met on a Latter-day Saint um, dating website, um, ldsplanet.com or .org. I don't remember anymore. Obviously, I've been on it in years. So, um, and at the time we met, I... 
it's kind of difficult to explain. I was ending a relationship and was out and divorced um, from my first wife. And at that time, when I was divorced, I, I found it real hard to live um, just day to day. I fell into a real deep depression, deep, um, just had a lot of anxiety. All I did was just get up, go to work, come home, and just kind of just do my own thing. Um, it, it gotten to the point where, you know, those negative demons, negative thoughts were running through my head and just became a part of my life and um, nearly succeeded. But there was a, something in, in myself that kind of kind of taught me to just one more day, you know, just one more day. Um, you know, it's one foot in front of the other. So something in me told me I just needed to, to meet people. And so being the social butterfly that I am, I um, was going to church and found this dating website for LDS singles. And so I decided to sign up and wasn't on the website for um, very long and came across this young woman um, who piqued my interest, to say the least. Um, and at the time, I guess she could say that we were both in different places in her life. And one of the things that drew me to her was, was the fact that, you know, she didn't really care about my past. I mean, she did, but she didn't, you know, she accepted me for me. And so I reached out to her and we decided to meet up in person. And at the time, um, she was looking after her niece and nephew in Provo, Utah. And so I remember, so the day we met physically for the first time, we decided to meet at a park, you know, public place, be safe, you know, for all she knew, I could have been this axe wheeling, you know, serial killer. Um, which is understandable, you know, I'm a big, scary looking, <laughs> looking guy. So anyways, we met and prior to this meeting, we had just, you know, discussed a range of things, getting to know each other. And so when we first met, and this is going to sound a little cliche, but for me, the moment I met her was the moment I knew that I had gotten divorced for a reason that I needed to be with her. So the moment I, I saw her is when I fell just absolutely in love with her. Um, and those of you who follow me on Twitter will attest to this, you know, seeing that I post all the time about her. Um, anyway, so we, we met and we talked for a little bit. Um, 
sitting there in, in the park and and afterwards um she had to return to look after her niece and nephew and as we drove away um we kind of took the same way out of the park and i was in front of her um in my car and she was behind me and so i remember looking in the rearview mirror of my car and seeing her and i told myself i'm gonna marry her someday so fast forward um I want to say it was about six months or so, or we had started dating, obviously not long after we first met, but um, this this all kind of came to be after that first meeting. She had returned to her niece and nephew, and her niece had heard about um, our meeting, and at the time, our, her niece was about nine and so when she had come home, she had said that, um, I don't think I'm going to date him again or continue to, to see him. And her niece, Lindsay, um, said had said that, you know, he looks like a pretty cute guy. Give him a chance. You know, see where it goes. And so he, she gave me a chance. And, and here we are 13 years later. So... We were married August 13th, 2010 in the Salt Lake Temple, and it's it's just been great. So, so yeah, that's kind of in a gist how we met. Um, I, I wanted to share that because she means the world to me. Obviously, she's my wife. I care about her deeply, so... Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about on this episode too was for those of you who do follow me on Twitter and social media, know who I work for and because of privacy issues and non-disclosement, long, non-disclosement, non-disclosed agreement, whatever you want to, NDA, um, I cannot list who it is, but I can tell you that I am a city bus driver. So um, when I first started my career, there was a route that I was driving. And this, this experience I'm going to let you in on is kind of what brings me to my mental um, health struggles, um, or at least sheds light on the, the struggles that I deal with. So on this specific route is not long after I started my career in as a bus operator. So in this route, the day that I took over this route, I was driving northbound towards the north end of the route and was approximately halfway through the route and had picked up this young man and I remember vividly um, because this young man had two 12-pack cases of, of Pepsi in blue, in the blue, um, in the blue cases. And I remember he got on, there were two of them, he had them in his hand and he went and sat down in his seat 
we continued down the road. I was approaching an intersection. You know, it was a it was a beautiful day. It was in April, um, so you know it wasn't too cold, but it wasn't too warm. And I remember approaching this intersection, and the the light suddenly turned red, and so I had to hard brake on my bus. And I remember seeing him and his reaction, um, and and kind of just deer in a headlight kind of look. And as soon as he looked up, I, I can hear one of the cases had fallen on the ground and the soda and luckily none of them broke open, but they all had just kind of busted out of the, the, um, the case. And so there were cans rolling over the place. And so I quickly was able to pull over to the side of the road on the other side of the intersection um, after the light had turned green. And so, um, stopped, pulled over, and let him gather the cans, to which he asked if we could pull up the road to the gas station that's just down the road, um, so he could go in and, you know, grab a plastic bag for the cans. So we did. We were approaching the gas station that was up the road, and there was another bus um, parked out front, which had a stop. Um, that was already occupied by this other bus. So I had pulled in front of that bus, made room, was able to, in, in the industry, what we call it, secure our bus, which means um, apply the air brakes, um, kneel the bus. Most um, modern buses now have the ability to kneel the front end. So once I had secured my bus, I then opened my my rear doors, um, watched him approach the door to get out. Literally, just as soon as he stepped off the back door, this is when I feel like my career, I guess, changed and my mental health just went crazy. My bus was rear-ended at full speed, full freeway speed. Um, I'll never forget the feeling of that impact. Um, it's like, it's like being tackled from behind and having played football in my life. I know what that feeling feels like, but knowing that it's coming is different, completely different versus not knowing when it's coming. Now, right before the impact, you know, as a bus driver, typically I I, know, I always check my mirrors. I'm looking in my mirrors to see what's coming up behind me. Um, but at the moment of impact, my attention was drawn to my right side mirrors, which was watching him get off the back door. And that's how I remember at the time of the impact. So anyways, once it happened, um, I think that's where my training kicked in. You know, there's a certain protocol in, in um, you know, contact accidents um, that we have to go through in order to um, kind of start the report, you know. So 
I had gotten on with dispatch, let them know what happened, where I was, so on and so forth. Um, our transit police uh, start was started en route, and so um, one of the things that kind of helped, really helped the response time, was where the accident happened. There was a fire station right next to the gas station that I was at, or where the accident occurred. So the response time from first responders were, was extremely on point. So they were there within moments. Um, I was still on the phone with our dispatch and supervisors. And I believe there were approximately three people, including this young man who um, had the soda spill. And so the, the, I remember the young man standing outside of the bus at the time while I was on the phone and the utter disbelief of what just taken place. Um, and I'll never forget the look on his face because he obviously was terrified, traumatized, um, what happened, but he was also, it looked like he was confused. So anyways, after I had radioed for help and, um, gotten off the, the radio, uh, that was when I first stepped off the bus to kind of survey the, the, the damage, the scene. So I made a full complete circle around my bus, you know, to make sure, you know, I didn't lose a wheel or, you know, something, um, upon discovering the vehicle at the rear end of my bus, um, it was also discovered that the, the person driving was no longer in the vehicle. He had gotten out and ran inside to the gas station for help. Um, and as I was making my way around the scene, um, I could hear other bystanders saying, there's someone in the back seat. There was someone in the back seat. So um, the vehicle that hit me was a, a little white Volkswagen Jetta. And so this specific vehicle had windows that were fairly tinted. So I couldn't see the actual person. There was a person in the back seat, a young woman. Um, and at the time I couldn't hear, you know, her responding or if, you know, she was trying to, you know, signal for help or anything, but there were people saying that there was someone in the back seat. Um, now this could have been, you know, from, um, people saying there's someone in the backseat from the person who left the vehicle. So anyways, so our transit police get on scene. I start the report talking to our supervisors and transit police, let them know what had happened. In the meantime, first responders were already, you know, attempting to remove this young woman from the vehicle. Now, at the time I had, I was totally oblivious to where I was exactly parked at and not knowing that where I was parked at was actually blocking the, I wouldn't say blocked, but um, there were vehicles at the gas station fueling up and I had learned that there was a minivan uh, with a family and children in the van fueling up. And after the accident, um, 
I had learned that had not my bus been there and this vehicle that hit me continued on in that location, that gas pump would have been taken out, that um, vehicle would have been taken out, the family would have been um, struck and killed most likely, and there would have been an extreme fire. Now, because of this accident, the young man who decided to leave the vehicle and people saying there was someone in the back seat, there was um, his girlfriend apparently was the one in the back seat. And from what I learned after the accident was that she had um, passed away um, on impact. And knowing this really, it's hard to describe, but it's just guilt. You know, what if I wasn't parked where I was? What if I wasn't, you know, at that location at that specific moment, that young woman would have been alive. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, it also, you know, it tells me, had I not been there at that specific time in that specific very spot, that vehicle would have traveled through that spot and taken out that gas pump. And there could have been an even more, you know, greater loss of life. So it was very difficult for me to accept initially um, that there was a fatality, but it came down to me accepting what had happened. Um, I learned later afterwards that the driver was under the influence of a controlled substance, multiple controlled substances. And um, still to this day, I have, I wouldn't say nightmares, but reoccurring flashbacks of um, the initial impact and then seeing the, the carnage, the, after, the aftermath of it. Um, not much damage was done to the back of my bus, but the the Jetta, the Volkswagen, completely destroyed. Um, it was it was very hard for me at first to sleep, to think, to function. Um, I became very distant, very just not my Maui self. I'll just put it that way. Um, it, I shut everyone. I shut everyone out that cared about me. I shut out my friends, my family. My wife, and took a couple weeks <clears throat> for me to even look at a bus. And where I lived at at the time, 
buses passed all the time. And every time I would see a bus, I'd have flashbacks. Every time I would see a bus, I'd I'd freeze. I wouldn't know what to do. But in my heart, the hardest was knowing that a young woman would never be coming home. That a family lost their mother, their daughter, their sister. But after a couple weeks, I began the healing process. I began talking about my feelings. I began letting those into my heart again. Through my employer, we have our employee assistance um, and I am so grateful for companies investing in employee assistance and and knowing and that's the great thing is, is my employer, my supervisor, you know, everyone that I interact with at work, extremely, extremely loving, caring, and just saying, Maui, don't worry about work. Come back when you're ready. Don't even think about coming back until you feel comfortable. And that's the thing. They made sure that I was in the right mind, made sure I was, you know, okay with where I was at. And I just am so grateful for the resources that were available to me so that I can begin this journey of healing. But like I said, still to this day, I still have flashbacks here and there sometimes. And and now, now I have my regular dedicated routes. And one of the routes that I drive is this route that had the accident. And so every time now that I pass that point where the accident occurred, I'll slow down and think about what had happened. I'll say a little prayer in my heart and just, you know, think about that all that was impacted, all those who were impacted by this. I still think about that young man and those who were on my bus. I remember everything about that day. The the weather, the traffic, um, the transit officers, the first responders, everyone, even the supervisor who was on scene that came in and, you know, consoled me and just everything about that day. Um, I will never forget it for the rest of my life. Um, there in that day, it, it, it kind of um, taught me a few things about myself, but taught me a few things about mental health. And, you know, it, it's, it's no laughing matter. It, it really affects literally everyone, whether you believe it or not, um, mental health with it being mental health awareness month, um, or last day of, of, 
um, May. Mental health to me, and I've been asked, what does mental health mean to me? And to me, what mental health means is one's ability to emotionally, socially handle one's um, grasp on reality. And as a bus operator, I see struggles with this every single day, day in, day out. It, it, it becomes wearing um, on the mind, on the soul, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm going to tell you right now, this has been a dream career of mine ever since I can remember. With the bad that I've experienced in my career, the beginning to now, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, the people that I've met and the people that I've been able to impact just by me driving my bus, it, it's, it hasn't been, hasn't been easy, but it also has been extremely rewarding. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, from the, the training that I received to how I've evolved in my career to make my routes Uncle Maui's routes, you know, um, and that's what I like to think is is one of the things that um, intrigues me about being a bus operator is you never know who's going to get on your bus. You never know. But of course, I mean, there are those who regularly ride, ride, the, ride the bus. And so you just, you meet all sorts of people. And that's one of the things that drive drives me in my life is I never know who I'm going to meet. Um, and you meet all kinds of different people from every walk of life, male, female, um, black, white, just everyone. And so I just, I find my love of people fitting for what I do as a, as a job. And I wanted to bring that to this first couple episodes and kind of discuss um, my mind and what's affecting me. So this has been episode two. Um, stay tuned for, you know, much, much more. And um, in closing, I just wanted to leave a few thoughts. And that is, you never know who you're going to meet. You know, there's always someone watching you. There's always someone. I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying, you know, in 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 out in society today, we're always surrounded by people. And I've always been raised to to be kind. You know, I'm always trying to do good. I'm always trying to be the best person that I am. And so if it's anything that I can leave as advice on this episode, is to just look for ways to better the lives of those people around you. Um, look for ways to serve one another. Um, look for ways to be kind and more loving. And that's what we're all here to do. It's just to be loving and kind. 
plain and simple. Be loving and be kind. Um, I hope you guys have a great day. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for episode three. Have a great day. Mahalo.